Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. I want to invite you to Psalm 127. If you open up your book towards the middle, just kind of guess where the middle is, you will most likely land in the book of Psalms. And then find Psalm 127. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's one underneath a chair nearby. And page 485 will get you right to Psalm 127. I want to bring a message today entitled, Time to Rest. Time to rest. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, John, you just took us through a forward packet. You gave us books to read. You're going to be preaching 106 sermons through the book of Matthew. We've got all these goals. We've got all these plans. And now you're telling us you want us to rest. That seems a little counterintuitive for the first Sunday of the new year. And yes, it might be counterintuitive, but I believe we need this. I believe we need to understand what God is calling us to as a church and as a people. So make your resolutions, by all means. Pursue your goals, read your books, get to the gym five days a week, start all of those things that you want to start this year. But I want to also encourage you, make some resolutions to stop some things as well. Make some decisions in your life where you need to slow down and where you need to rest. There is a growing threat in our world today and it has been labeled Hurry sickness. Hurry sickness. It is not a diagnosed medical condition per se, but it really is a psychological condition. Hurry sickness. We have more tools and we have more technology at our disposal to get more things done and to make life more simple than it has ever been. And yet we still struggle and we still desire to try to find two or three more hours in each day. And so the symptoms of hurry sickness are these. Living in constant go mode. Endless task lists. Being irritated by time delays. Always trying to find ways to save time, all while trying to get more done with the time that we saved. Hurry sickness. Healthline.com said this about hurry sickness. Hurry sickness frequently involves an undercurrent of anxiety. Perhaps stress and worry creep up when you think of everything you have to do. Hyper aware of the seconds ticking by, you fixate on all the things you could be doing with the wasted time. And so here we are working ourselves sick. But God has a better way for his people. And so as we get to Psalm 127, I want you to allow these first two verses to just sink deeply into your souls this morning. Follow along as I read Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. The title above this psalm is A Song of Ascent. Verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he, God, gives to his beloved sleep. 
God gives to his beloved people sleep, rest. And so here's the big idea that sits over top of this text. Rest is a declaration of dependence on God. Rest, stopping, is a declaration of dependence that, God, I need you to work for me when I cease to work. This is, as I mentioned a moment ago, a psalm of ascent. There are 15 psalms like these in the psalms. And these would have been the psalms that would would have been sung and recited as the children of Israel were making their way to the temple. There are 15 steps leading up to the temple. Some believe that there are 15 psalms, one that represents each step leading up to the temple. And so as the people of God are ascending those steps to go to the temple, the place where heaven and earth would meet and where God would meet with his people, they would recite psalms just like this, including this one that would say, unless God builds the house, unless God watches over the city, God gives to his beloved sleep. And so as a part of their worship and as a part of their spiritual formation, God expected them to rest and not just constantly be going and doing and working and achieving. So rest is a declaration of dependence on God. By putting your phone in the drawer at 6 p.m., by taking a full and disconnected day off, by limiting your consumption of social media, you are making a bold declaration that the world doesn't depend on you, instead you depend on God. It has become harder and harder for people to rest. Something about the way that culture communicates to us, there is, there is this badge of honor that people wear when they're busy. Like the busier you are, the more accomplished you are, the more, the more successful you are because you're busy and you run yourself ragged. And then anybody who does seem to have any margin in their life, they're assumed to be lazy because they have margin and they should be doing more. And that's sort of the message that culture has been communicating to us. And so there are two groups of people that I believe this morning need rest. There are, first of all, the exhausted You've been hustling, you've been going, you've been striving, you've been working, you've been doing, and you need to stop. You need to slow down. But the second group of people, these aren't the exhausted, these are the restless. And I believe there's an entire generation of people among us, and your heart is just restless. You're afraid to be left alone with your own thoughts. And so if you are exhausted, you need rest on the outside. And if you are restless, you need rest on the inside. And so rest is a declaration of dependence on God. So how do I declare dependence on God through rest? There are three ways found right here in this psalm, in Psalm 127. The outline is going to look like this. I declare dependence on God when, number one, I declare dependence on God when I rest in God's ability to build. When I rest in God's ability to build. Look at the first half of verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Now understand, there are builders who are building. There are workmen who are working. God is not expecting that work is stopping completely. Work is a central part of human responsibility. 
When God created man and woman in the garden, he placed them into the garden, Genesis 2.15, to work the garden and to keep it. So God who created all things out of nothing could have very well created the world fully self-sustaining and fully developed, but instead he created his human family, placed them into that garden to accomplish his purposes by giving them the raw materials. So that we would then take the resources that God has given to us and go do his work for him and to accomplish his kingdom work. God could accomplish his kingdom work without us, but he chooses not to. So work is not a bad thing. God rebukes laziness in the Proverbs by calling out the sluggard. But what God is calling us to is allowing him to be the general contractor. Allowing him to be the one in our life who's calling the shots. He's not working for us, we are working for him. He's not doing our bidding, we're doing his. And so unless the Lord builds the house, all of your effort, all of your work, all of your building is in vain. There is a motto that Edinburgh, Scotland has on their crest and on their official documents, and it is the motto, Nisi Dominus Frusta, which means, without the Lord, frustration. Without the Lord, comma, frustration. I don't know about you, but are you feeling like the house that you're building right now is frustrated? Are you feeling frustrated about your life? Are you feeling frustrated because your, your marriage seems to be falling apart and things aren't put together the way that you thought they would be? Are you feeling frustrated because your kids are not as easy to raise as you hoped that they would have been? Are you feeling frustrated because your career hasn't reached the goal that you thought it would have been at by now? Are you frustrated because retirement's not quite as restful as you would have hoped? Are you frustrated because your single life is extending longer than you ever desired for it to extend? As you look at your house, are you feeling frustrated? Well, remember that motto, without the Lord, frustration. And maybe that frustration is because we are busy building and doing and trying to raise up this house of our life, but we are doing it by our own means and by our own strength rather than resting in the ability of God to build the house. Now, I give you a full disclaimer. Choosing to rest in God's ability is not just some trick that you try. It's not, well, I've tried this and that didn't work and I tried this to achieve my goals and that didn't work and I tried this and that didn't work. Let me try this whole God thing and see if he can accomplish my, my goals for me. That's not what's going on here. When you rest in God's ability to build the house, it is a full-bodied, complete, total life surrender. God, I am trusting you that regardless of what you do with this, whether it turns out how I would have expected or not, I am trusting and I am resting in your ability to do this. So let me give to you a formula, a formula that will help us to rest in God's ability. It's simple. I'm going to put it up on the screen here for you. It's this. Rest, build, rest. That's the formula. Rest, build, rest. That first rest means that we go to God first. We let him inaugurate the plans. We let him go in front. We let him lead the way. We seek his face. We, we seek to understand his heart. We're not trying to get ahead of him. So we are first resting in God. But then that time of resting, that God says, it's, it's time to now build. It's time to go. 
It's time to fight for your marriage. It's time to not give up so easily. It's time to prioritize your kids in this new year because they need you. It's time to pursue that career. It's time to do those things that God has been putting on your heart. Single guys, it's time to ask that girl out on a date. Some of you single guys, you've been resting in God. Like bring her to me and God's saying, go find her. <laughs> so you rest, yes, you trust, but then you go build. And if we, if we mix this up, some people want to just rest and just rest and rest and rest and never go out and do. God's not called us to that. Other people just want to go do and they want to skip the, re the rest and the waiting on God. That's not what God's called us to either. So we pursue him first, we rest, then we go and we do with confidence, we build, but then guess what? We come back to rest. We come back to a posture that says, God, the results are left in your hands. You see, we are not working ourselves sick. We are trusting in God. I pursued God, I rested in him, and then I went and did for God, and now I'm going to leave the results up to him. Whatever God desires to do with this, it's for his good and for his glory. I want to give you one example of this formula here from my own life where Amy and I had to rest, build, and then rest. Six years ago, God began stirring in our hearts to leave a church, an established position there, and to start a brand new church. And at the time, we didn't know where it was going to be. But God just began stirring in our hearts this idea of go out and start a new church. Go to some city, go scratch off a piece of ground, and just see what God could do. And I got to tell you, that was a really intimidating thought. And so Amy and I took several weeks. I remember it was 2017, December of 2017. We took several weeks to rest. We prayed. Several days were spent fasting and pursuing God. I had a journal. I still have the journal. I took that journal everywhere with me. And every time the Spirit of God spoke to me or impressed something on my heart, I wrote it in that journal as I was praying about this possibility. We, we sought counsel from those closest to us. We rested. We pursued God first. But eventually God said, go. And once God said, go, it was time to start building. It was time to start doing. And of all the things that God has allowed me to do in my life, nothing has compared to the amount of effort and work it took to start a brand new church. Now it was time to decide, okay, where are we going to go? Who's going to go with us? How much money is it going to cost to do this? Where are we going to live? Where are our kids going to go to school? Is anybody going to even come? What am I going to preach? What's this going to look like? How is this going to be structured? All of those questions we had to start answering. We rested and God said, yes, I'm in this. Now, then it was time to start building and it was time to start doing but finally, on February 10th, 2019, City Point Church launched its first service at the Improv Comedy Club, of all places. And do you know what we did after that? We rested. And we said, God, the results of this church are up to you. We rested in you and we believed that you would lead us. You did. You told us to go and we started to build. And now we've, we've built this thing, we've launched this thing, and now we are just resting in you. To accomplish what we never could. And you know what happens with this formula, with this cycle, is it just keeps happening. You rest, you build, you rest, you build, you rest, you build, you rest, you build. You keep coming back to God and depending on him and trusting in him because if anything is going to be built, it is going to be because God does the building. Unless the Lord builds the house, those of us in this room who are laboring are laboring in vain. 
So it's time to rest in God's ability. This doesn't mean we stop working. It means we work in a way that demonstrates dependence on God to build. So I declare dependence on God when I rest in God's ability to build. Number two, I declare dependence on God when I rest in God's vigilance to protect. This is the second half of verse one. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, just like the builder, God's good with watchmen. God's not saying fire the watchman here. There is a watchman who is standing watch on the wall who needs to stay awake through the night. In antiquity, cities were built with a wall around it to protect it. And those walls had towers. And in those towers, a watchman would be posted to keep an eye out over the landscape for any potential armies or enemies or threats that were coming to attack that city. And for obvious reasons, that particular post was even more important at night under the cloak of darkness because the city was even more vulnerable. So here is this watchman who must stay awake, meaning they must be alert through the night hours. And God is not saying that you shouldn't have a watchman, but what God is saying is that if there is going to be safety and security in your city, it's not because you have a watchman. It's because God has watched over that city. It's because God has protected. It's because God has given security. But God is not just interested in our physical security. He is also interested in our spiritual security. So as God was leading his people and establishing spiritual leadership among his people to watch over the souls of those people, it it should be no surprise that God chose a metaphor to describe it that's the same. In Ezekiel chapter 3, Verse 16, at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, came to Ezekiel, son of man, I have made you a watchman over the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. So just as a watchman would physically protect the city on the tower, now Ezekiel is being established as a watchman in a spiritual sense to be the one who would bring the word of the Lord to the people of God. So God is watching over his people for physical protection, but also for spiritual protection. And in some ways, I would say that the threat to us spiritually is greater today than physically. So how is God still today continuing to watch over the city? How is God watching over his people? How is God protecting us and providing that spiritual protection for us? There are three means of spiritual protection. This is not by any means an exhaustive list, but three that I wrote down this morning for us as a church. The first means of spiritual protection by which God is still watching over his city is through the Holy Spirit. It is through the eternal and inseparable presence of God in the life of a believer. Understand that all the powers of hell and authority have no dominion over you anymore. The cross has neutralized and broken the power of the unseen realm. And now the spirit of Christ has taken up residence in your life, sealed you and secured you in your permanent position in Christ. And so rest, rest in your security. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Because God has given to us his Holy Spirit by means of spiritual protection. The second way that God continues to watch over the city and provide spiritual protection for his people is through the church family. The most prominent metaphor in the Bible for the church is 
the body. We are interdependent on one another. Do you know the body has the ability to fight off bacteria and to protect itself against anything that would come into it? The church body, the church family is meant to to function in very much the same way, that we would be a protective measure for one another against any type of lies or spiritual attacks that might come from the enemy. God has given to us one another. So let me give to you this morning an unpopular opinion. Can I do that? Here it is, unpopular opinion. Church is non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable. There are other things in your life that can flex, but church should not be one of them. Now I get it. Here I am, a pastor up on the stage giving this cheap sales pitch to come to church on Sundays. That's not what this is, folks. As a matter of fact, if I were not a pastor, there is one place that I would be right now on Sunday morning, and it would be in a church among the people of God. Because there is protection in the body and in the community. God has given to us one another for that purpose. I love the fact that there are several men in our church and in the room this morning who are retired pastors. And their presence today says to me that their, their job, their vocation as a pastor was not just something that they were doing because they were getting paid to do it. Them being in church on Sunday morning year after year and decade after decade was not just because they were on a church's payroll, but because they were a a member of the family of God. And now here they are, retired, in church this morning because they know that they need the protection just as much as everybody else in this room. God has given to us one another. There is danger in isolation and there is protection in community. God has given to us the Holy Spirit as a means of spiritual protection to watch over the city. God has given to us each other, our church family, as a means of protection to watch over the city. And thirdly, God has given to us spiritual leadership as a means of protection to keep watch over the city. Hebrews 13 and verse 7 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, I understand that leadership and authority in our culture today is suspect, and probably for good reason. But in a healthy church, there will be a plurality of spiritual authority, not just an authoritarian one-person head at the top, but a plurality of spiritual authority, and their responsibility is to, quote-unquote, keep watch over the souls of the people of that church, not for their own benefit, but for the glory of God and for the protection of the community. When you go to buy a car, you'll sit down with a salesman to sign all that paperwork, and that salesman will try to sell you an extended protection plan for your car. And that extended protection plan is meant to provide you the security and the peace of mind knowing that that car and your investment is going to be protected. That if something happens to it, you're covered. But understand this morning that God offers to us an extended protection plan far better than any dealership. And his extended protection plan is the Holy Spirit of God within us, the church family around us, and the spiritual authority that he has placed over us for our protection and for our good. And so rest in dependence on God's means of spiritual protection for your life. Because apart from it, all of our own effort to to find peace and safety is in vain. 
It's a declaration of dependence. That's what rest is. Rest in God's ability to build. Rest in God's vigilance to protect. And then thirdly this morning, I declare dependence on God when I rest in God's kindness to sustain. God's kindness to sustain. It's verse 2 of our text. The psalmist continues and he says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I wonder this morning, how many of you in the room are the morning people? Let me see where you are. Morning people, morning people, okay. How many of you are the night people? You like the night owl? Okay, there you are. If you didn't raise your hand, you are getting up at 10 a.m. and going to bed at 8 p.m. You're something in between, I don't know. This verse is not meant to be a rebuke to either group of you. This isn't to say that the early risers should stop getting up early or that the person who stays up late should stop staying up late. This is actually a rebuke on the workaholic. The person who thinks that if I just put in a little more time, if I get up a little bit earlier and stay up a little bit later, I'll be able to achieve those goals. More time is not the answer. More time working is not the answer. What's the result? Well, he says it right there. You are eating the bread of anxious toil. Do you see the bitter irony in this? Here, this person, they've gotten up early so that they can go to work and earn this bread. And they're going to bed late so that they can get as much bread as possible throughout the day. And they finally get their bread and they can't even enjoy it. Because of the anxious toil that it's left them with, the means by which they achieve that bread and what it's left them with as a result. So you finally get that pay raise. You finally get to buy that new car. You finally get that extra week of vacation. You, you finally achieve that goal and it just doesn't seem to give you what you thought it was going to give you. God offers something so much better for he gives his beloved sleep. By the way, you and I are his beloved. We are his people. And he gives to us rest. He gives to us sleep. And then we find a promise in Psalm 121 verse 4 that he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So while you are resting and sleeping and enjoying that time, uh, of get, getting, getting that rejuvenation, God is still awake. God is still alert. God is still keeping watch. God is still building when you have stopped and ceased. So what means of rest if rest is so important for us, if he gives his beloved sleep, what means of rest has God given to sustain his people? I've got three of these for you as well. The means of rest that God has given to sustain his people, the first is the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. Now my Bible students in here are going to say, well, John, isn't Jesus our Sabbath? Hebrews chapter 4. Yes, Jesus is our eternal rest. But understand that the principle remains that God worked for six days and then God, the creator of all things, stopped and he ceased. Not because he was even necessarily tired or ran out of things to create or didn't know what else to create or couldn't create. That's not why he rested. He rested to celebrate the work that had been done. He rested to enjoy the work that had been done. And so the Sabbath is a break from the responsibility of work to both rest and to celebrate God. This past year, 2023, our family incorporated into the rhythm of our week the Friday night Shabbat dinner that would mark the beginning of the Sabbath. Now, we're not Jewish, <laughs> but 
it is a principle in Scripture. And I got to tell you, we, we're not perfect at it, and we didn't, we didn't do it every week, and sometimes it wasn't very restful with four boys around the dinner table. But I've got to tell you that there were so many moments when we sat at that table, and, it, and my, I just felt at rest. By having that Friday night dinner, we'd light the candles, and we'd have the Friday night dinner. It would mark the beginning of that 24-hour period as we headed into the day, uh, the, the, in, into Saturday. So let me ask you this this morning, how will you Sabbath this year? What day will you cease from labor? How much time will you cease from labor? And maybe the most important question, what will your boundaries be when you cease from labor? What are you going to stop doing? Are you going to look at your phone at all? Are you going to check your emails at all? Are you going to do social media at all? Like what are the boundaries? When will you Sabbath and what will it look like? It doesn't necessarily need to be Friday night to Saturday night. It doesn't necessarily need to follow that pattern. But I do believe that God wants us to rest. It's a means of rest that he's given to us in his kindness to sustain us. The second means that God has given to us, the means of rest to sustain his people, is worship. Worship. This is the Martha dilemma in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus comes to Martha's house and Martha's all excited because Jesus is going to be there. And so she runs around and she's getting food ready and she's cleaning the house and she's doing all these things. Meanwhile, Martha's sister Mary comes into the house and just sits at Jesus' feet. And Martha gets a little ticked off at, at Mary. <laughs> I mean, she would, probably wouldn't have said it that way to Jesus, but she was a little upset. Martha's doing all this stuff to get ready for Jesus. Mary's just sitting at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says, Martha, you're anxious about many things. But Mary has chosen the good part that will not be taken away from her. Are you, are you creating space in your life to sit with Jesus, to rest, to worship? There's a corporate expression of that. There is a personal expression of that. Are you creating space in your life for solitude and for silence and for getting in his word and for spending time in prayer? It is a means that God has given to us to sustain us and to help us to stop and rest and trust and believe. Corey Tenboom said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Because both of those things accomplish the same thing. They distance you from God. Sabbath is a means of rest. Worship is a means of rest. And thirdly, faith. Faith is a means of rest. If rest is a declaration of dependence on God, then rest is faith. Faith to wait until the next day to check your emails. Faith to, to forego the overtime because your son needs you at his basketball game. Faith to put margin into your life for prayer and worship. Faith to reject what culture says is normal because God says it's not. Faith is a means of rest. Those first two, Sabbath and worship, it's like I can, I can plan that, I can see that, I can understand that. But now faith, like what does that look like? That, that's the lifestyle of a follower of Jesus. He has called us to follow him and to walk with him by faith. God's people in the Old Testament were given the Sabbath. We, we mentioned that already. But God also established something that he called the Sabbath year. So the Sabbath is every seven days you stopped working. The Sabbath year was every seven years you stopped working. You didn't plant the crop. You, you, didn't, you didn't try to raise that 
that, that crop and, and eat from the land. You just let it go dormant. Whatever, whatever grew, grew. But then God also said that every seven Sabbath years, there would be a 50th year of Jubilee. Every seven sets of Sabbath years, you would again let the land remain dormant. You would stop producing from the land, but also all debts would be forgiven. Prisoners would be set free. Slaves would be released. All property would be returned to its original owner. It was a complete resetting of the economy in the 50th year. So you can imagine, if you're approaching the year of Jubilee and it's year 48, and you're thinking, okay, year 49 is a Sabbath year, so we can't plant anything. Then year 50 is the year of Jubilee. We can't plant anything. And then year 51, we have to plant, which means we still don't have anything to eat. So you can probably start imagining some of the questions that would have raised in the minds of the Israelites. And of course, God knew them. And so he answers that question in Leviticus 25, 20. God says, if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? And then God says, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. The 49th, the 50th year of Jubilee, and the 51st when you have to plant again and wait for it to grow. So what is God calling his people to? Faith. You're just going to have to trust God. If you are going to live a life of rest, it's going to be because you are living a life of faith. And if you are feeling anxious and worried and restless, it it may be that God is calling you back to trust him once again, to leave the results in his hands. God gives his beloved sleep. He is kind to sustain us by letting us rest. Don't neglect these means of grace in your life. So here's that big idea again. Rest is a declaration of dependence on God. And if I had to guess, many of us in this room are suffering from hurry sickness. Many of us are feeling that hum of anxiety on just right underneath the surface because we're thinking of all the things I gotta do and all the problems I've gotta face and the money that I don't have and the stuff that's gotta get done. And, We are making these resolutions to start a lot of things this year. I want to encourage you to make some resolutions to stop some things as well. Rest in God's ability to build. Rest in God's vigilance to protect. And rest in God's kindness to sustain. Now, before we wrap up our time, I understand that today's topic is an extremely important topic, but it's also an extremely disruptive topic. It's the kind of message that All of our problems with anxiety and all of our need for rest are not going to be fixed simply because we took 40 minutes to study two verses. And so as important as this message is for us as a a faith community, I believe that there is more that still needs to be done in our lives. And so I have two resources that I wanna recommend if you would like to read further on this topic of rest. As a matter of fact, I have a limited supply of these resources in the lobby today because I know if you're like me and you feel like, man, I need more of this, you're probably gonna get home and by the time you get to lunch, you're you're gonna forget what the message was even about. And so what I've done is I've purchased a handful of these so that if you want one of these, you can get one today. There's, 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 uh, these are at cost for us. we're, We're not making anything on these resources. If you were to go buy these, they'd be the same exact price as what you'll get them for today. But there's two of them. The first is called The Common Rule by Justin Early. This is about establishing sustainable rhythms of spiritual formation. 
In other words, you have to build a trellis of disciplines and rhythms in your life so that there can be the organic growth of spirituality in your life. That's what the common rule is focusing on. The second book is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I don't know about you, but that one just, I need that. <laughs> like that one just resonates. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, staying emotionally healthy and spiritually alive in the chaos of the modern world. So I think we have like five or six of these resources in the lobby today. If you'd like to pick one of these up, along with the Matthew Scripture Journal, those three resources will be available after the service today. If you are feeling a stirring in your heart, like God is calling you to something, you're not quite sure what it is, but you know it's different. And you know it involves rest. Pick up one of these resources or order it on Amazon and dive deeper into this and let the Spirit of God form you into a person who is able to trust and rest and stop and cease so that we can be who God has called us to be. Rest is not accidentally found. It must be intentionally formed. And so what are you going to read? And what habits are you going to start this, this year that are going to help work rest into that rhythm for you? Well, I have two questions as we finish up our time together, as we learn to live. These are my questions for us today. Number one, are you at rest with God? Are you at rest with God? Is your soul, is the inside you at rest with God? And the reality is if you have never put faith in Jesus, you cannot be at rest with God. Your soul is at war with him because of your sin and your distance from him. But God has made a way through his son, Jesus, in order that you might be brought near and brought back into a relationship with him. And so if you are not at rest with God, friend, I would invite you today, trust Jesus as your savior. And if you have questions, or maybe if you're here and you're ready, you're ready to trust Christ, would you find me after the service? I promise you, you are the most important person that I wanna to talk to today. I will not leave this room until I have talked to you, but come and find me so that I can share with you more of what that means and pray with you and answer questions that you might have. Are you at rest with God? And my second question, for those of us who are followers of Christ, where do you need to declare dependence on God? Where are you hurried, anxious, worried? Where have you been losing sleep? Is it your finances? Is it your marriage? Is it your kids? Is it your career? What is it that has been giving you that hum underneath the surface of anxiety? That is the place where you need to declare dependence on God because he gives his beloved sleep. Let 2024 be a year of rest and a year of dependence as we trust God. Can we pray? Father, we thank you. I thank you for the truth of your word and how it helps us to understand your will. God, I just wanna pray this morning for those in the room who are restless, those in the room who are exhausted, those who are fearful and anxious. God, you are calling us to yourself. You are the place of rest. I pray that we would be a church that would, yes, accomplish great things for your kingdom, but that we would not accomplish those things by getting ahead of you. And that we would not accomplish those things simply because we think that if we get up early and go to bed late, we'll be able to accomplish more. But that we would be a church of faith and rest, trusting in you, the God who builds, the God who keeps and watches, and the God who gives to us sleep. 
I want to pray for the one in the room this morning that does not yet know Christ. I pray that they would trust you, that they would stop running and stop denying and stop turning away from you and that they would turn to and believe and receive the gift that you have offered to them. You are pursuing them. You are chasing them down. And God, I pray that today they would, they would believe. Have your will and have your way in our church. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.